this time Jared will bring our special. I'll tell a story, Miss Baldwin, that you have a minute. <laughs> I know she's tired of playing, Owen. Uh, I really researched this song out of did. I had never, I had never sang this song, and uh, had a pretty neat story behind it. I won't tell it just for a minute. Let her rest a minute. Precious Lord, hold my hand. Uh, this song was written in the 1920s by a black uh, preacher. He was a music minister at the time. He was a big musician, jazz musician, wrote songs, and uh, got saved when he was in his early 20s, turned his life over to the Lord, and started writing gospel songs. Never, uh, didn't, didn't really catch on for a while, and uh, he got pretty big. Some of his songs caught on. He went to, he lived in St. Louis, went to Chicago to lead a big, big uh, tent revival, I guess, back in the day. This is in the 30s. Uh, his wife was pregnant. Uh, do in the next couple of weeks, and uh, he uh, said something told him not to go, but he went anyway. It's before the days of cell phone and all this stuff. Said uh, he was on stage. Said he had got down just for a minute, and somebody else had come up, and a a little boy run up to him with a Western Union telegram, and he said when it opened it up, all it said was your wife has passed away. So he said, man, I was I was devastated. He said uh, I turned and. Uh, one of the pastors that was there volunteered to drive him home. Had he had a he had a baby boy. She had a baby boy. The boy was still alive. His wife had died in childbirth. When he got home, his child was dead. Both of them had died. It took a while. He was in Chicago. Go to St. Louis back in them days. It was the next day before he got there. Both of them said he buried both of them in the same casket. In a couple of days later, uh, said he was he was done. He. he to just about turned on the Lord. He, could, he said, "I just I don't know what to do." I disgusted, but uh, as he went on, he uh, said it took him four or five days. He was really seriously grieving, and he sat down at a piano. He was a jazz musician, so he had knew about pianos. He sat down at the piano, and he wrote the words of this song: "Precious Lord, take my hand." Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Precious Lord, linger near When my life is almost gone Hear my cry, hear my call Hold my hand, lest I fall Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone at the river I'll stand guide my 
feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me If you will, tonight, let's open our Bibles to Acts 10. When I was thinking about what to preach this morning, a couple of passages came to mind. and Two sermons that I really couldn't get out of my head were the one I preached this morning, and this one I'll preach tonight, and I said, well, I'll preach them both. Um, we're talking about a new year approaching, and... Uh, this morning we kind of talked about a transition in that, moving forward. And if you're talking about transitions, what better book to go to in the Bible than the book of Acts? Uh, the, it is a book of transition. God putting His plan for, for a church in motion. And uh, when we look at that, we can get a just a huge picture of transitions and God's plan working through the lives of people. This, this evening, if you will, stand with me as we read Acts 10, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision... Evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. As we look at this passage tonight, I hope that we can see the power of prayerful people who trust in God's direction. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message that you've given me tonight, dear Lord. Just help me to relay that to this audience, dear Lord. And dear Lord, help us take something from it that we can apply to our lives. Dear Lord, just forgive us all our many sins. Help us as we go through the up and coming week. And dear Lord, in the next year. In your name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want to look at tonight is this. As we examine the life of Cornelius, he's not your typical Roman citizen. First of all, he feared God. Most Roman citizens at this time and era didn't even really believe in God. They were influenced by smart people such as uh, Aristotle and Socrates. Romans were supposed to think, well, outside the box. They weren't. What's funny to me is as I read this passage, here's a man, Cornelius, who actually believed the same way 
the people his government was oppressing believed. Next, Cornelius gave many alms. What that means is he gave to the poor. He, he gave to kind of like charitable, charitable organizations or something along those lines. Most Romans could take anything from an ordinary citizen. But Cornelius chose to give. Way different. Way different than the normal Roman citizen. His position would be like that of a general placed over about a hundred men. And the first rule of oppression is don't be kind. But he was. And the second rule, if I was to make rules for oppression, would be to keep them oppressed and don't provide for them. But yet he did. You see, he was a very different Roman citizen. And he also had a steady prayer life. You can turn maybe just a page in your book and look at the end of the chapter about verse 30. And it says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of Simon a Tanner by the seaside, who when cometh shall speak unto thee. He had this prayer life where he, he fasted and he prayed, and he, he took time out of his day for God. But the question is, what was he praying for? What was... What was this man that was so different from the rest of the Roman citizens? What was he praying for? I believe he was praying for truth. In his world, in his society, and the people that he uh, probably hung around every day, there was no absolutes. But he had heard of this man named Jesus. He'd heard of him, and we can see this in verses 36 through 40 it says then peter opened his mouth and said of a truth i perceive that god is no respecter of persons i'm sorry verse 36 the word which god sent up unto the children of israel preaching peace by jesus christ he is the lord of all that word i say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You see, he knew, he had heard about Jesus Christ. And I believe Cornelius was seeking for truth. He had no one to confirm the actions of Jesus. In his political situation, they probably heard of Jesus' resurrection, but made it out to be something less than what it was. And what, did, uh, what did they tell the soldiers to say? We fell asleep and, he walked and, and somebody stole him. They probably thought it was a big fairy tale that he actually rose from the grave. You see, Romans, they were great at killing people. And surely a Roman centurion would think, if the Romans killed a man, he wouldn't live again. As a Roman soldier, there was probably no one 
that would believe this truth but Cornelius. I'm in the opinion that Cornelius firmly believed in God. The scripture says that he feared him. He probably even knew he was a sinner and he was looking for a savior. He probably stayed up night and day. We see the time periods that are listed here in the Bible, praying that God would show him truth. If all the hype that the converted Jews were talking about was truth, he wanted to know. If it was false, he wanted to know. So he pleaded to God that God would confirm what was true. We can take a step back from this scenario and see that God is orchestrating a great plan. If you look at verses 9, uh, and this is pretty lengthy, 9 through 22, it says, On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open and certain vessels descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again, the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now when Peter doubted in himself what, the vision, what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down to go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is what is the cause wherefore you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feared God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear the words of thee. You know, God always has perfect timing. He worked all this out so that when Cornelius sent the men, the men arrived at the gate at the exact time that Peter was coming out of this trance, out of this vision. He has precise timing. Before, but even before this, let's, let's take a step back. Even before this, chapter 9 God placed Peter in Simon the Tanner's house. As Cornelius sends his men, God is preparing Peter to go with them. As Peter is getting ready to start sharing the Gospels to the Gentiles, God is preparing a man named Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles in chapter 9. Tell me there's not a great plan working here. 
it's important that we realize no matter what is going on in front of us, God's working. Even though we may not see the end result, even though we, we can't focus on His plan because we are human, He's got a plan. And He's working it out. He's got huge plans uh, orchestrating behind the scenes just when we wonder how in the world God's going to pull it off. He does it right in front of us. He's got perfect timing. But then, let's, let's get back to the story a little bit and look at Peter's doubting. I've come to the conclusion that Peter was not ignorant. He was hard-headed. Everything he seems to go through with Jesus, Jesus has to do three times before he gets it. And here in this instant, even when he did it three times, not once, not twice, but three times in verse 16, verse 17, it still says, now while Peter doubted, he still ain't got it figured out. Peter, he was an interesting character. And I know Jewish law, and I know that this was, this was hard for Peter to grasp because he, he grew up saying all these things were unclean. And as he looked at that sheet, I wonder, if my, wonder in my mind as he saw that pig up there, if he didn't think back to all those times that he walked among the Gentiles and he saw bacon. And he walked among the Gentiles and... And he saw pork chops, and he's like, no, Lord, I can't do it. I can't eat that, because it's common. <laughs> I believe if I was Peter, I'd have picked up and said, yes, Lord. <laughs> Give me the grease. <laughs> but not Peter. That wasn't him. But you see, it's, it's important to realize that God uses, and we talked about this this morning, He always uses people of action. God told Cornelius to send men in, chapter, in verse 5, in verses 7 and 8. What does Cornelius do? He sends men. Peter was told to go with the men. In verse 19 through 23, he went. He did what God told him to do. What's God calling us to do? As men and women of faith, our faith needs to look like something. We need to be men and women of faith. When God says, go into all the world, He meant it. We need to get our going shoes on and go. I believe Peter went up to the roof to seek direction. You see, if you, if you actually look at a map there of Joppa and Caesarea... Uh, literally, Peter had made it to the top of Joppa and, and he had thought, I, I just imagine in his mind, he thought, Lord, I've made it to the top. I've made it to the very top of this nation you've called me to witness to. And then Christ says, well, go to the Gentiles. Go a little further. You know, when we are in a dangerous place, if we ever think we've done enough. We're in a dangerous place if we ever think that I have done so much for God that He has nothing left for me to do. 
Because then, like Peter, he'll say, I've got a whole other nation I want to send you to. I've got a whole other group of people that, yes, they're not very close to you in your life, but I'm going to send you to those people. Peter here thinking, I've made it as far as I can go, was a foolish thought. Some may be thinking, it's easy to go, it's easy to do the things that God's called you to when He directly speaks to you. But if I'm not mistaken, Christ directly spoke to us as a church. He says we should be witnesses. What's our excuse? Cornelius and Peter had every reason in the world not to come together and and meet in that house that night. Cornelius would have been looked down upon for hosting a Jew in his position. But then you can look at Acts 10.28 and it says when Peter entered into the house, he said, Ye know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. They had the law against them here. But yet, it was God's direction. Men and women of faith, trusting in God's Word, is exactly what Peter did. And he sets the example for us. Now I want to get really real, really quick with you. Just a few chapters over, and I'm going to try to give you a background without going too deep into the scenario. In Acts 15, the people at the church at Jerusalem were debating over whether this uh, circumcision, they were trying to make faith a physical thing when you narrow it down. And these words came out of Peter's mouth at that meeting. Uh, Acts 15, verses 7 through 9. It says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. This is incredible. How many in here, raise your hand, if you are from Jewish descent? That's what I thought. If you were to trace your lineage of faith back down the road, it comes all the way to this point. When Peter went to the Gentiles. When we were given the gospel. Comes all the way back to this point. Why? Because people were praying. And people trusted in God's word. If we're going to reach people around us. If we're going to reach the world that God has called us to reach. We're going to have to pray. And we're going to have to act upon our faith. 
And we're going to have to trust the direction that God is giving to us. The plan set in motion in, in Acts 10 for Cornelius, it was for me too. It was so that I can know the gospel. Peter went to the Gentiles and, and, and that's for us. He came, he came to the Gentiles and so that not only Cornelius, but all Gentiles, even us today, could know the gospel. And there may be somebody here tonight, I don't know, that's never been saved. There's a door of opportunity for you. People have prayed all day today. We've asked uh, in Sunday school, I've, I've heard it in the service this morning, I've heard it, that if there be one here lost today, They'd come to know Christ. The gospel is Jesus. He he came, He lived a perfect life, and He died and He rose again. That's what you have to believe to know Him. The door of opportunity is wide open. Will you be a person of faith? For us that have a relationship with Him, what's our next step? Have we prayed over the direction that God's going to send us down in 2014? Have we prayed about what God is leading us to do here at Promised Land? The main point of this message is prayers of God-fearing people plus men and women trusting in God's direction equals God-sized results. There's no incident that you and I have heard the gospel today. God set a motion and plan in Acts 10 so that we could hear it. Will we be people of prayer? Can Promised Land Baptist Church be a church of action? Can people in this community look around and see what we are doing to reach the unreached? I want to ask you this evening, as Brother Norman comes for a hymn of invitation. In 2014, a few things that we can do to, to make the move or the transition that we talked about this morning even greater for God is first pray, be earnest about our prayer, and number two, trust in His direction. When He says go, do it. When he says, this is what I've got for you, this is the ministry I need you to help in, we go and do it. Because we trust that when he gives direction, it's where we need to go.